Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion today, we wanna to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Matt S., Jackie A., Gordon S., Nick W., and Sean M. We have a returning guest on the program today. Mr. Greg Smith is with us. Greg is the president and CEO of Equinox Gold, a growth-focused mid-tier producer that has four producing mines in Brazil, one in Mexico, two in California, United States, and construction underway at a new mine in Ontario, Canada. In addition, the company is advancing mine expansions in Brazil, Mexico, and the United States that should significantly increase the company's production over the next few years. Equinox Gold is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol EQX, as well as on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol EQX. Greg, welcome back again to the program. We spoke a couple of weeks ago, and we'll play that conversation here shortly, but I wanted to bring you back on the program to talk an update because the company just announced and closed a convertible bond issuance in the amount of 172.5 million US dollars in convertible bonds that carry a coupon of 4.75% that mature in 2028. These are unsecured, very good cost of money, by the way. Tell us about that. What are your thoughts? Thanks for having me. Yeah, we announced that, uh, that financing Monday afternoon and we just closed that yesterday morning. You know, we did that financing because, the, as you said, the terms were very good, far more attractive than our existing convertible note that's maturing in April of 2024. Doing this debt financing today enabled us to pay down our revolving credit facility or partially pay it down, save a substantial amount of interest, you know, the delta in the interest between that revolving credit facility and the interest rate on the note. And then it positions us, you know, to manage the upcoming maturity of the April 2024 $140 million notes, which have been in the money here and there, but you know, you never know what the market's going to do. And we had to be prepared to handle that debt maturity. So from our perspective, you know, this is a, a very positive financing for the company. You know, unfortunately the market reaction was not so positive and certainly that was uh, frustrating and disappointing for us. It's a bit of a short-term view in that respect with respect to the market. I think with Greenstone coming on board here soon, backstopping that, taking a cost of capital that is exceptional in this market, especially compared to your peer companies. I can think of probably at least three to four peer companies that are paying higher interest rates. And the amount is very, really marginal. It's a smaller amount and quite manageable given the structure of how you've done this. So good on you for doing that. It leaves quite a bit of room. And again, the equities will have to respond to due course as Greenstone comes on. And of course, the gold prices continue to hang around, if not move higher in the coming months. Oh, we feel the same way. I mean, in any, you know, managing these companies, especially uh, a company like Equinox, it's in the middle of a large build and commissioning, you know, it's a world-class mine we're commissioning in, in the first half of next year, but you don't want to have to sit there and have the risk of making a major debt payment right in the middle of that commissioning. And so in the normal course, we're going to be always managing the debt maturity ladder, I'll call it, you know, this financing kicks out, you know, a reasonable portion of our debt out to October, 2028. And you, we were able to do that at terms that I thought and, and uh, certainly uh, others I've spoken to have thought that uh, were very attractive. And so, you know, the merits of the of the transaction, I think, are clear. 
you know, we'll just focus on the task at hand, which, as you said, bringing Greenstone into uh, production here in the first half of next year. Very well. Appreciate the update on that. Okay, well, let's move into other things here. Of course, you've been on the program before, so I'd like to just forego the introductions. And with that, I'd like really just to start off and get your take on the market conditions we are in for gold, what your outlook is, and also given the sentiment for many juniors and mid-sized companies, based on your experience, is this a good time to get the feet wet in the sector? Boy, there's a lot to unpack in that question. It's an interesting dichotomy, I guess, where you have the gold price you know, performing, I think, relatively well, especially as you look at the strength of the U.S. dollar and, and current uh, interest rates against a gold equity and, and in particular the junior side where the stocks and the valuations are trading at sort of historic lows against the gold price. And so when you look at it, and, and some of the banks have charts on this, when you look at that on a graph like that, it's probably the best time ever, you know, historically to get into uh, the gold equities, given where the gold price is. There's other variables in there. We've had a fair bit of inflation over the last couple of years. So you've had some margin compression. You know, the gold price hasn't uh, reacted the same way costs have over the course of sort of 21, 2021, 2022. But I think to be in this industry, you got to be bullish on the gold price. And you look at, you know, what's inevitably going to happen is interest rates will start to, to come down and and the U.S. dollar will start to weaken. And in that context, you should see the gold price start to perform in U.S. dollar terms. When you look in, in Canadian dollars or, you know, in China and Japan, you know, gold is either at or bouncing off all-time highs. So gold, gold's been doing great. Um, the equities, not so much. Yeah, Greg, good points. And uh, I think it is an exciting time to be looking pretty hard at this because we all know what the outcome is going to be. It's a matter of uh, solvency and time is where we need to look. And a great time to be looking at the sector and also just looking at the more stable equities in the business, much like Equinox Gold and where Equinox Gold is headed and the trajectory we see with the projects there. I'll tell you what, why don't we get right into Equinox here? Let's kick it off here just with a capital structure update first, Greg, and then we'll get into a bunch of other detailed items. But where are we in terms of shares outstanding for the company, the cash on hand, the debt and revolver status, and then also major shareholders at this point? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with our shareholders. I mean, I think most people who are familiar with the company know that Ross Beattie is our, our largest individual shareholder in the company. He's also our chairman and uh, and a founder of the company so he's still sort of sitting there at the at the top of the pile we then have all the usual i think institutional names in the in the uh equity as well and all of us in, in senior management and and many of our employees are also shareholders and our employees part of a a share purchase plan as well so we actually have one of the larger insider ownerships in the space uh, as you compare to our peer groups you know, today we've got about 300, 315 million shares outstanding. Uh, we're sitting on cash of around $180 million. Uh, our net debt would be around $660 million. And then our market cap today in um, Canadian dollar terms is around $2 billion. Very well, Greg. I appreciate that update. I think the other exciting piece here as well that I'd like to get an update on is Greenstone in terms of schedule to commercial production, current work at the site. I understand uh, that you've been there at site as well recently. And then just with that, how the budget is coming in on the project. Why don't you just cover all that off? Because Greenstone obviously is a real game changer for the company. 
You know, Andrew, it really is. And uh, was there on site last week. We we brought uh, our analysts, some of our lenders, uh, some of our institutional shareholders, and um, you know, we've got a lot of pictures on our website, and and we've you know, there's some videos and presentations out there, but uh, it really doesn't compare to going there in person. And it, you know, go, going back a couple of years when we first acquired the project, and and you know, it's just a big empty plot of land. And uh, to see it today is is really quite incredible. The scale is, you know, for us, it'll be our largest operation. You know, we own 60% of it. It's a joint venture with Orion Mine Finance, and they were out with us last week as well. And I think we all felt the same way, just walking around, looking at this thing. It, it's a world-class mine. Like it's it's just the, the infrastructure is fantastic. Community support is fantastic. Good relationships and commercial relationships with the local First Nations. Uh, it's just it's just everything you want in a mine, right? And it's advanced. You know, I think we announced construction in October 2021, so we're you know we're almost at two years in here, and we really are in the final stretch. Uh, you know, initial and pre-commissioning activities have already started. We'll be moving into wet commissioning uh, by the fourth quarter here this year. And then uh, going into the first half of next year, we'll be into hot commissioning. So this thing is going to uh, come into production here real quick. From an Equinox perspective, at the end of June, our attributable to us, we had about $170 million left to spend. The mine is on schedule. And uh, while it's on schedule, it's also on budget at the $1.22 billion. And uh, so this will be a mine that we intend on, on bringing into production on time, on budget in the first half of next year. You know, really, to me, Greenstone, once fully wrapped in a steady state, will have a significant impact on the production numbers of this company, but really also underscored by the improvement of the overall cost profile of the company. Just talk about that for a moment and how important that is for you. So 400,000 ounces a year, the first five years, about 240 of that is attributable to Equinox. So we're this year, we'll do around 600,000 ounces. So not quite 50%, but a pretty significant increase in our production profile uh, in uh, starting in 2024. The mine itself is, you know, if you think about it in the context of open pit operating mines in Canada of scale, it'll be easily in the top five sort of longer term. When it starts production, it'll be here in the top sort of four. When you look at that, you're looking at detour, I think is number one and Canadian Malartic would, would be number two. And then we're sort of neck and neck uh, with Cote coming into production here. Their annual production is a little higher than ours at I think 500,000 ounces a year. Our grade uh, is higher than theirs. So our average grade over the life of the mine is 1.27 grams per ton. So that would make us one of the highest grade open pit gold mines of scale in Canada as well. So you're, So you're right, it's a game changer for us. The high grade and the and the large throughput, large production profile will also serve to drive down our average costs. I think uh, Greenstone's cost structure is going to be very competitive, a little higher than the feasibility study, of course, because that was from 2019 and we've seen some inflation since then, but still very attractive cost profile for this mine. Yeah, absolutely. It to be completely expected there with respect to the escalations. Well, and so gold's up several hundred dollars as well from that point. So it. It, they kind of go in lockstep, but we'll, uh, our plan here is in February, when we put out our, our corporate guidance for 2024, we'll also update, you know, 2024 expected production from Greenstone and what we'd expect the cost to be in, in that first year. And just the ability to, to keep this thing on schedule, 
keep the budget in line, Greg, I think is a good accomplishment and speaks to the team efforts because uh, it's been quite difficult over the last couple of years dealing with long lead time items and availability of materials and equipment. And then, of course, the escalation, which is far outpaced, in my opinion, has far outpaced the gold price. We'll see that change, obviously, over the next couple of years. I think it will. But good on you for the efforts on this one. I think this is a really important project. And then also, I'll just add one more thing before you say anything. It's just that the finances of the company with this online and going well, as we expect, the finances of the company could turn around incredibly quickly in terms of just that getting rid of that debt. Well, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, the cash flow from Greenstone will help us deleverage. And that's something that's becoming uh, you know, more and more important, I think, as these interest rates stay high. You know, you don't want to be spending all your free cash flow on interest rates. So delevering, it gives you that immediate return of, of just reducing that interest burn. That's something we will be focusing on the next few years. But I, I just want to go back to the, you made a reference to team. And, you know, when we when we acquired uh, Premier Gold and uh, and along with that, their interest in the Greenstone joint venture, one of the key uh, things we looked at was the team at Greenstone because Greenstone was you know, operating somewhat autonomously, right? It was a 50-50 joint venture with another mining company and they had their own executive team and their own sort of um, offices and, and processes, et cetera. And uh, the team there, you know, as part of our due diligence, we were really impressed uh, with what they had done and what they had done to advance that project. They had been working together, you know, right through exploration to development, to permitting, and then into construction readiness. And uh, by the time we we were ready to do our or announce our make our make our construction decision, I guess, and make that public, the team down at Greenstone had taken had taken detailed engineering all the way to eighty five percent. They had done substantive uh, drilling and geotech drilling in the area of the plant and the and the tailings facility in particular, and had put together just a phenomenal team and structure with uh, G Mining. And I think that's just been a huge strategic advantage to us, both the relationship and, and the way they structured the construction team with G Mining and just the folks at Greenstone have been there for so long, know the project inside out, know the community, know the area, and I think have just uh, done a great job. Too early for victory laps. I mean, I, we want to see this project get into commercial production, but us at Equinox and I think anyone that's been to site have been very impressed with the team there. No, I like your attitude about that, Greg. That's excellent and how you approach this. And you've got a lot of things on your plate as president and CEO. And of course, the whole team has lots of things happening here, all really simultaneous to what is happening at Greenstone as well. So keep up the efforts. As a lot of people are figuring out, mining is very difficult. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's continue here with an operational update. Uh, at the mine operations in terms of just highlights you'd like to mention, and then also just a refresh for the audience on expected year-end production guidance, of course, within the parameters that you can give, and then just expansion and optimization activities that you want to mention across the project live operations. Yeah, I mean, in addition to Greenstone, we've got seven other mines that are operating today. Uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of the call across Brazil, the United States, and Mexico, and our guidance for 2023 uh, for production was 555,000 to 625,000. I just say, you know, 600,000 ounces of gold at around $1,600 all in sustaining cost. So that's our guidance for the year. Big chunk of that comes out of our uh, Los Filos mine, Mexico. That's 160 to 180. So that's our largest producer right now. And then uh, next in line would be our Arizona mine in Brazil, which is 120 to 130,000 ounces this year. In terms of, of the, pro, the, the 
the uh, portfolio itself, there is a lot of organic um, expansion and growth potential within the portfolio. And, you know, just kind of starting in, in uh, the United States here with our Castle Mountain project, we, we brought the, the phase one of that, of that mine into production in, in uh, 2020. And that's relatively small, you know, 20,000 ounces a year, 30,000 ounces a year. And really, it's, it's almost a placeholder to prepare for the expansion to over 200,000 ounces a year, which is something we're in the process of permitting right now. So that, uh, that's a big focus for us. I'd love to see that permit come in next year. It's probably a, a 2025 thing. And uh, as soon as we've got the permit, we'll start that expansion at Castle Mountain. That'll bring us uh, another you know, large scale, 200,000 ounces in the United States and North America here. And I, I think that's going to be a nice cornerstone mine for the company as well, along with Greenstone. In uh, Mexico, at Los Filos, we did put out a, a feasibility study last year where um, we outlined the construction of a 10,000 ton per day CIL plant. That would process the higher grade material from the underground deposits and, and from the open pit at Los Filos, which could increase production to almost 300,000 ounces a year. A bit of a larger uh, program at Filos, and we'll have to make a decision on that in the next couple of years. We've been running it on a status quo basis here, just given some of the challenges we've had at Los Filos, but that's another area that uh, we're working to advance over the next year here. And then down in Brazil, we've got four operating mines, Arizona, Fazenda, Santa Luz, and RDM. Arizona has a very substantial underground reserve and resource. And getting underground at Arizona is a priority for us. We've got permits to, uh, to build some declines at the site, at the Piab Open Pit. And uh, we're looking to start that work next year, get us underground, size it for production, and we can do some drilling and some bulk sampling once we're under there as we continue to advance a uh, feasibility study for what the optimal path will be at Arizona. Bottom line is, I think that mine will run for decades with that underground deposit, and uh, and we're just keen to get started on that. And then Fazenda and Santa Luz, those are a couple of interesting projects. They're they're very close to one another. We've got the ground between them. They're both in Bahia, and uh, you know together they're producing you know 120, 130,000 ounces of gold per year right now. But we see a, a fair bit of of upside potential, in particular at Fazenda. We're starting to look at these two projects or these two mines as a bit of a, a bit of a district or a complex called the Bahia complex. And between the two of them, there's a lot of prospectivity in, in both the ground positions and uh, potential to increase production through an open pit at Fazenda and some underground expansion as well. So, you know, collectively, that could be another major or significant production center for us in Brazil. And, and we see a lot of potential there as well. So it's a, as you said, we've got a lot on our plate. We've got a number of projects here. All of them have their own challenges, but also a substantial amount of opportunity. And I think with Greenstone coming on and, and the advancing of Castle Mountains permitting and some of the things we're working on in uh, Brazil, you know, we'll be able to continue to increase our production profile here over the next few years and keep working toward our vision or our target here of a million ounces of production a year. I'll come back to a couple of things you mentioned here in a moment, but just uh, want to discuss briefly just the in-house exploration work. You know, obviously this is a, a piece of the company that probably not a lot of investors have considered, but just that that overall work to replace depletion 
and even grow resources across the portfolio in the coming years. You know, you talked a bit about Arizona and just talk a little bit. And I know this isn't the first focus of the company, obviously, given Greenstone and some of the expansions, but talk about the expiration of potential at the company's portfolio and what you think would be kind of the immediate focus on expiration once some of the things are cleared off the plate. We don't publicly talk a whole lot about exploration. I think it's just, you know, the company's status as a producer and, and any individual exploration results sort of lack of materially, materiality, I suppose. You know, you just start moving away from some of those press releases. But that's not to say it's not a focus uh, within Equinox. Our chairman, Ross, is a, is a geologist by trade. Scott Heffernan, who's our, our uh, EVP of geology or of exploration, you know, he's he's running the show on on uh, the exploration side and he's got a, a meaningful budget and he's got a lot of work that he does every year. And it's some of my favorite, you know, I'm an accountant and, and a finance guy and some of the best money you can spend in this industry, the highest return on investment is when you've got a mine with, a, you know, a shorter mine life and you're able to use the drill bit to increase your reserves, increase your mine life and then directly increase your nav. And, you know, you, you can spend $5 million at a mine and, and then create $50 million plus or more of, of MPV. That's just a phenomenal return on investment. So we're, we're kind of blessed in that we have large line positions around our, our operating mines. We've been able to uh, increase mine life, increase reserve and resources at the mines, Arizona in particular. Uh, we've been able to do that every year at Mesquite as well. And... Um, you know that that translates directly into increased mine life, increase increase life of mine gold production, and increased NAVs. So it's uh, it, it we don't talk a lot about it, but it is an area that we do focus on. And again, because we're not doing a whole lot of greenfields exploration, we're very focused on near mine exploration, in particular mines where we're going to get the biggest bang for our buck. Fully agreed. Just that the ability to be able to replace depletion is, uh, I think, a key component. And of course, you know, we've seen that uh, even with companies uh, like Lundin Gold be able to do that at Fruta del Norte. And of course, you guys are continuing to do that in various different places across your portfolio as well, Greg. And I think that folks should not forget about the potential there and that value add that will certainly come with that. Talk about maybe some of the challenge areas you see for the company as it completes Greenstone, continues operations, and also works on expansion projects, as we've discussed. Of course, permitting at Castle Mountain, maybe additional work at Los Filos, of course, to get that expansion completed. What is on your mind in terms of, you know, maybe the biggest challenges for the company in the coming years? We like to focus on the things we can control, right? We can't do a lot about the gold price. Um, it's going to do whatever it does. We, we have a policy um most of the time of not hedging we do have a few hedges in just as we complete the uh the construction at greenstone but that's that's definitely uh, an anomaly for us we're not a company that really hedges our, the gold price and so you know the challenge the big challenge we've had over the last couple of years um really has been inflation you know we saw a lot of our input costs increase pretty substantially uh directly hits our cash costs directly hits your margins and that's an area where this year in particular, we, we really just said we've, we've got to focus on costs, right? And the, um, you know, we have internally, we have an asset uh, optimization program. We've hired uh, a couple of guys from, from a larger mining company that uh, have a lot of experience in this type of area where they're looking for opportunities, whether it's on procurement or uh, operating efficiencies to really just, just start managing that side of, of the income statement a lot better. And that's, that's really on the cost side. 
you know, that's something that, that we are focused on, you know, that we are generally a higher cost producer and, and we want to correct that. We want to have a decreasing cost profile and Greenstone will help, but we want all the assets to contribute to that. You know, we're also levered, right? We, we, we took on leverage to build Greenstone and to uh, advance some of our M&A activity. Along with that, you know, you've got an interest rate that's increased pretty substantially over the last couple of years. I'd like to get that leverage down. So longer term, you know, as you, uh, as we bring these assets into production, you know, it's going to be that capital allocation discussion all the time, right? Are we, do we invest in the growth or do we pay down debt? Are we able to do both? What's the, the optimal uh, path for our shareholders? So th those are sort of the strategic considerations and, and challenges that I see in the next few years. I mean, we, we've got a lot of areas that where we can grow. Like I said, Castle Mountain is one that we'd really like to see permitted sooner than later so we can get started on that. But that's an area, the permitting side of it's an area where we have less control, right? So in the meantime, while that process unfolds, we'll be focusing on trying to advance Castle the way Greenstone was advanced, right? Get as much detailed engineering as we can, get it as construction ready as possible. So once we get those permits, and, uh, and we're ready to go, we're sitting on a real solid foundation to, uh, to start the construction and expansion of that mine. Good thoughts on just, you know, how you see this and of course the deleveraging bit of it as well. And did mention M&A, I wanna to come to that now and just discuss mergers and acquisitions with you. Any thoughts that you can share just broadly on the sector M&A that's happening in the sector, not Equinox, but just general M&A in the sector and the appetite for that. And then just this extended period of suppressed valuations in many cases for a lot of the juniors and mid-tier companies. And then also from Equinox's point of view, with some of these major capital expenditure projects winding down over the next couple of years, what do you see on the M&A front for the company? I mean, yeah, okay. So is it, as a general comment, I'm actually surprised we haven't seen more, actually, more M&A recently. You know, you, you can look at depressed valuations in a lot of cases, though, if you if it's a, you know, a share for share deal, it's all relative, right? So you can run that math and, and figure out what makes sense. And as long as you're not sort of using cash to do sort of those larger transactions, then you should be able to, to look at it from a relative perspective. And valuations have been depressed. So actually, if you're a, a company that's flush with cash, you're trading at a higher multiple, there are uh, bargains out there to be had. So I, I am a little surprised there hasn't been more, um, but you know, the, in the gold space, it ebbs and flows and, and I'm sure we'll see more M&A going forward. For the, you know, at the junior side, at the very junior side, it's just such a tough market. And whether there, there has to be sort of commercial, you know, a rational commercial decision to do M&A or, a, or a, you know, a bigger picture plan with good supportive shareholders that can help fund you know, the, those smaller companies through that process because it's not cheap, right? And you don't want to undertake M&A without having that kind of support behind you because it could be, you could just as easily destroy value even if you're able to demonstrate that it's been accretive. For Equinox, you know, we built this company on both M&A and then developing assets as we've acquired them. Along the way, we've also sold some assets and, and uh, have spun out a few new companies, including Solaris Resources. And we participated in the creation of I-80 Gold, and we created Sandbox Royalties along with Sandstorm. So we've, we've always endeavored to you know, optimize our portfolio and optimize value creation in the portfolio over time. I don't think that that has, has changed at all. I mean, we've been very focused on advancing Greenstone. We've had a fair bit of volatility in, in our share price over the last couple of years as we've done that. 
I think that as Greenstone uh, gets to the end here and we're able to to bring it into commercial production, you know, hopefully that does reflect in our share price and our and our valuation, and perhaps some more opportunities will be made available to us. But frankly, there's just not a lot out there that gets us too excited. I think the the, the number one target for us, uh, certainly over the intermediate term, would be would be working to acquire the rest of Greenstone uh, itself. Right, Orion has 40%, and and I think we'd love to own 100% of the project. So, you know, that's something that that uh, you know, no nothing certain, but uh, could come to pass at some point. And and I think that would be sort of the primary target for us in the sort of in the intermediate term. But in the meantime, we got to get that thing up and running first, and that's that's still our primary focus. Absolutely. Yeah, lots of things happening here. Completely understand if Orion's willing to give up their piece. Uh, it's a good project, and hopefully you guys can take more of that ownership share as well, Greg. So I appreciate your thoughts on that, and then, of course, the thoughts on just the broader M&A and some of the challenges in the sector that we're seeing. Switching gears here over to community efforts, Greg, maybe just tell us a little bit about ongoing efforts on the community front to support and enhance local community. As responsible mining, as you and I both know, is a standout economic generator for anyone who is involved. Any comments on some of the work that the company has been doing on this front? Sure. I, you know, I, I direct people actually to our website, to our ESG uh, section in the, in the website. And we've got a number of reports on that, including our annual ESG report that actually highlights a whole bunch of different endeavors, both generally and, and then some specific ones in the communities we operate. I mean, I totally agree with you. I think that there's such a tremendous amount of both economic activity, but also, you know, social opportunity that comes when a mine is in an area, right? Whether it's education or or access to clean water, access to medical or access to employment opportunities or business opportunities. And I think most Canadian mining companies, you know, have always, or at least in, in my career, have always worked constructively with communities generally. And, and, you know, trying to ensure that benefits from the mine are also shared with the communities in, in terms of all of these opportunities that are available to them. And, you know, you, you can't please everyone and not everyone agrees with mining and, and you'll get other stakeholders involved that, that might have a different opinion. But I think it's, I think most Canadian companies are trying to do the right thing. We certainly are. I think where we are starting to improve as an industry is reporting on it. You know, I don't think we necessarily advertised it a whole lot or or had these, you know, these fulsome reports on our websites that were, were available to people to see what's happening in some of these communities. I think the industry is getting better at that. And I think that's important because, um, like I said, it, some people aren't aware of, of the kinds of, of, uh, of benefits and opportunities that can, that can uh, be realized by a community when mining comes into the area. And that's a big part of, of any mine. You, you, you know, of those people that live near the mine, Often they're your employees, often they're stakeholders in other ways, and, and certainly just living near a mine has its own unique sort of characteristics. And so you need to you need to work constructively with the communities and you hope that you have the kind of relationship where you know they're supportive of the mine and, and everyone's benefiting. And and that's certainly our our goal at uh, Equinox. You know, whether you're a developed economy or you're an emerging economy, doesn't matter where you are in that life cycle. I think that absolutely mining is absolutely critically important. Uh, things like energy, and we've been reminded of that uh, in the recent years, that you have to have your own supply chains and positives about having, you know, 
self-reliance and independence when it comes to things like critical materials and of course energy and then of course just the sheer wealth that mining generates and and the fact that you and i both know that at the end of the day in order to have a modern life that we live in mining is so important and of course uh, if we're growing things we need fertilizer which comes from mining and so to me a very very important subject and important matter to have responsible mining globally and just with that would like your comments after this as well as we wrap up but just a bit off topic here but semi-related greg as you know for some investors esg scores are being pushed and populated on investment platforms as an additional metric to base their investment decisions on but to you aren't things like operational expertise people geology junior market experience margins cost control valuation and just good business practices also important when determining whether or not to invest in a company personally i think those are critical when looking to invest in a company you know the esg side of it is important and it always has been right it's just like i said you, you need to to be you know responsible partners with the communities you operate in and that also means having respect for the environment and ensuring that you know the the work that we do mitigates as much as possible any negative effects on the environment ideally it, it leaves things in a more positive state than when we started so you know to me that's just that's good business practice it also is just required to have the support of the, of the governments and the people where we're operating you've got to have a business right you've got to have a a business that that has a plan to that either is or has a plan to be profitable that is delivering returns to shareholders over time that is a a viable business that can sustain itself over the long term or else it doesn't really matter what your esg score is it's not it's not going to make any difference because you're not going to have a business to have a score on anyways so i i think that you know companies really do do need to focus on their core business and i think that again enhancing the reporting around esg and if you do have gaps that, that you need to address address them but you got to make sure that you know the tail's not wagging the dog here uh we've got to have sustainable businesses for the long term for the esg aspect to make any sense at all well said no money no esg fully agree greg i think that's a, a good way to to come at this and look at this and understand what things need to be in place first before you can enjoy uh some of these benefits and well said once again well, Greg, uh, short of any closeout comments, which uh, you can certainly bring up here, but uh, I'd like to leave it there for now and ask you uh, for potential investors who are listening in. The company does have a market capitalization right now of about 1.5 billion US dollars. Why should Equinox Gold be considered within the institutional family office and retail investors portfolio, given where the company stands today and current market conditions? If you looked at Equinox around, you know, across our peer group of you know, intermediate or mid-tier gold producers, we have one of the highest reserve bases. We've got 17 million ounces in reserves. We have probably the highest production growth over the next two to three to four years. We will be one of the, the higher producing or companies within that peer group as well over the next few years as we bring some of these expansion projects online. But we are trading, you know, lower on the on a price to nav basis than most of our peer group. And there's some, you know, I can speculate on reasons for that. One reason is that we do have a lot of our valuation tied up in development or expansion projects, and those tend to trade at a discount to uh, to operating mines. But we are moving those projects, and in particular Greenstone and then and then uh, Castle Mountain, into uh, production. And these mines, these mines that have long mine lives large production profiles you know over 200,000 ounces and in the case of greenstone over 400,000 ounces 
in the United States and Canada, they are rare and they are valuable. And I just think as we you know, continue to bring these mines into production here, we should start to see a pretty substantial re-rate in our price to nav. And I feel like I've been saying that for years and, and it's, it's because we have been a growth oriented company. So we've tended to have a lot of our NAV and development um, on an ongoing basis. We, we've continued to buy projects. You know, at some point the operating NAV will exceed the, the development NAV. And, and at that point we should start to see that valuation flip. So we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. I mean, Greenstone really is a game changer for the company. It's where probably most of our news flow will be focused here over the next six months. And uh, sometime in the first half of next year, we'll have that first gold pour and, and hopefully move pretty quickly to commercial production. So, you know, for any investors that have more questions on that, they go to our website, they can reach out to me or, or to Rillin Bailey Investor Relations here, and we're happy to provide any, any more detail that anyone might want. Greg, I appreciate that and certainly share your view with respect to where we're headed with this company and the outcomes uh, going forward here. And of course, as you know, as we discussed before, mining is very hard and it takes time to get these things all put into place uh, to really realize that bigger upside that we know is coming for the company. Greg, one more time, just, just for the best way for folks to contact Equinox, is it through the website? Yeah, go right to our website and there's a, there's a you know, contact uh, tab there that has all of our information. Well, look, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and get updates on the company progress. Thank you for the time, and we'll be back in touch again soon. Appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks a lot.